This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Brian Hasselfeld, Medical Director of Digital Health and Telemedicine at Johns Hopkins Medicine and an internist and pediatrician practicing both adult and pediatric primary care in Baltimore. Dr. Hasselfeld, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Great. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here and thank you to both you and at Becker's for the opportunity. Absolutely, my pleasure. So I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's, you know, so much uh, happening in the healthcare, digital health, telemedicine space. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, my current role is uh, overseeing both our office of telemedicine here at Johns Hopkins Medicine, which is responsible for coordinating, building, maintaining uh, all of our virtual care activity, which is across six hospitals in four states, uh, 50 plus ambulatory sites, all responsible for uh, over 1.4 million video visits since the pandemic began, but also all other forms of virtual care activity throughout the Johns Hopkins Medicine Network uh, and advising leadership on digital health trends and strategy. And then seeing patients um, uh, in one of our primary care practices in Baltimore City. But before all of that uh, came from a winding background um, beginning in uh, tech, media, telecom, investment banking, moving into medicine, working with digital health accelerators, both in New Orleans and then ultimately in Boston, uh, where I did my residency training in the Harvard system at Brigham and Women's and Boston Children's, and then fortunate to find an opportunity to, to kind of combine all of that experience and uh, a different perspective into uh, supporting digital health and virtual care here at Hopkins. Uh, and Obviously, the last two years, uh, two plus years since March of 2020 have been a very different time uh, inside of health IT, digital health, and, and virtual care. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's fascinating to hear. You've got such an interesting background, both with the medicine and healthcare as a physician, and then, too, looking at um, the informatics side as well as the financial side of things. And so I can imagine that's a really, really helpful when you're looking at the entire picture of the healthcare system. I, I think yes. I, I think at the end of the day, um, that uh, there's there's a lot of buzzwords. We'll probably hit a lot of the buzzwords during our brief conversation here. But when we think about digital transformation, it is about changing the way we do business in healthcare um, for a lot of different reasons. First and foremost, to create this better experience for the patient and for the provider. But it is changing the way we deliver this huge chunk of our economy. The most intimate one, I think, personally, is. You know, engaging in in healthcare as a consumer and as a patient. So I do think it does it does take many times um, both a uh, a business uh, as well as a technical and a and a clinical um, perspective to try to get that um, uh, a little bit right. Makes sense. Well, thank you again for being here. Now, when you think about all of the different changes that have happened, especially over the past few years during the pandemic, and then too having the opportunity, you know, to to look ahead. What are you most excited about right now? What really are you seeing that is making a big difference in your practice as well as at Johns Hopkins? Absolutely. I think um, I, I do always start um, you know, that question about excitement with what's, with what's happened. Um, you know, nothing good about what we've all been through over the last two plus years in an ongoing worldwide pandemic. But in healthcare, it really did help us all appreciate that we can rise to the occasion. We can meet a, a required pace of change that's different, that's faster, um, uh, uh, that, that pivots more quickly to both meet the needs of our patients as well as those of our providers. And 
thinking about digital transformation and healthcare technology really is almost always a two customer um, uh, relationship between both patient and provider um, uh, is important. And I think that that's what comes next. Um, we've done some of the basics um, uh, and now it's time to both one, continue leveraging this proven pace. How can we continue to help move forward safely with uh, this kind of momentum in evolving the business of delivering healthcare with technology, all while acknowledging that um, the uh, the venture startup mantra of move fast and break things really doesn't work in healthcare. Um, uh, you break things, you hurt people. We really need to be focused on moving quickly, safely, but also doing so in a way that emphasizes this two customer relationship aspect of experience. I, I really push my team and my team pushes me back and thinking about how we re really view ourselves as a customer experience team uh, uh, while also being focused on those required areas of quality, safety, and outcomes. And so for us, the mantra that we've been working on for the last six to 12 months is, is, is quote, going beyond the video visits, um, acknowledging that you know, this broader view of, of virtual care and digital health is certainly not just the video visit. Um, and how do we add uh, tools that are going to meet uh, the needs of both customers, patient and provider, knowing that we could add all the tools in the world for our patients. If we don't have providers connected on the other end, that doesn't do anyone any good and vice versa. So how do we um, focus on uh, smooth, efficient workflow and experience both for provider and patient? And one of the specific examples that I, I always get challenged on is why hasn't this broad term RPM or our uh, remote patient monitoring, home physiologic data. Why isn't it really taken off? It would seem to make a lot of sense. We have Apple watches out there in many places. We've got Fitbits around for a long time, all with different kinds of home physiologic data. And I think it's because it really was has been initially viewed as a one customer problem. Uh, uh, how do we get these devices in the hands of, uh, of consumers who are oftentimes our patients? But if you don't also understand or think about um, the way to efficiently, cleanly, and intelligently bring some of that data back into uh, the provider's hands to make important clinical decisions, then it remains an unutilized tool. Um, we, as an ambulatory or outpatient provider, uh, I get data coming into me all over the place, patient messages, different lab results and imaging, and you can barely keep up. Now imagine turning on a data flow of hundreds of heartbeats or, uh, or blood pressures or weights across a you know, patient panel of a thousand patients. I, don't, I, I, I know some smart folks here at Hopkins. I don't know anyone smart enough to be able to internalize all of that raw data. So I think you know, working then on that workflow and the experience of how to turn raw data into something consumable and usable for that other important customer, the provider, um, it's those types of imbalances in experience and workflow that I think are ripe um, for opportunity here and, and I think are, are things that are, are really gearing our team up for some excitement. That's really great to hear. And, you know, I love the focus on having the patient and really thinking about the consumer experience, whether it's the community members who are, you know, trying to stay well or, or it's patients who need care from the hospital and health system and clinicians there. So um, it, it seems like there's just a lot of exciting things going on. And especially, as you mentioned, with the ability to provide more options for virtual care, remote patient monitoring, those kinds of things while also needing to, to make sure that is actually helpful and uh, efficiently connecting patients with their uh, 
care teams. So that's great to hear. And, and kind of along those lines, what aspects of healthcare do you see as being primed for additional IT disruption? It's hard to not kind of just say everything, but I, I think, you know, really specifically, I, I'm, I'm proud of the growth of telemedicine over these last two years, right? I call that our statistics were 1.4 million visits inside of our system alone since the pandemic began. Uh, that's up from just one or two visits a day to thousands a day, um, one or two visits pre-pandemic a day. And so that's great. But, but when we put it on how technology has disrupted other major portions of our economic and day-to-day -day consumer experience, we've barely just started. Um, I, I use internally my own Apple timeline, as everyone kind of knows, when, when did they first see the iPhone? When did they first see text messaging? Um, that we've, we've entered the FaceTime phase of the Apple timeline, so 2010, 2011, a good decade ago. And so... You know, we really are just beginning and being 10, you know, over a decade plus, 10 years behind the broader consumer experience and other things that we encounter on a day-to-day -day life, I, I just think is unacceptable. I don't think um, patients, as a patient myself, I don't think patients uh, are going to uh, tolerate that. Uh, and, um, and, and as a provider, I, I know uniquely just how important, just how uh, intimate the world of healthcare is to any given patient. And so if any place in your day-to-day -day consumer experience, you would want to expect advancements um, uh, in that experience, it almost should be healthcare over any other um, area. And so as we think about uh, breaking down what that experience uh, may need to evolve towards, I, I do agree that um, the very first way many people um, uh, experience accessing healthcare is simply how to find people, how to find a provider. And that basic issue is why the term of digital front door has also grown in the vernacular um, uh, as, as one CIO of a large um, uh, Northeast health system told me, if, if they can't find the door, what value is the experience inside of the door once you step inside the door? So why focus anywhere else until you have the, the door into a really um, a good consumer-oriented experience? I think in some ways that that's true, um, uh, that the experience inside is obviously extremely important, but got to be able to find you. Um, and so I do think that there's some real um, uh, purpose around the emphasis on basically the basic issue of finding the type of clinical care that I need. And, and alongside of that, you know, increasingly so, um, understanding like we would expect in every other aspect of the economy, what is it going to cost me? Um, uh, unfortunately, we do live in this system where we have to think about both personal individual um, uh, costs and consuming healthcare. And we've done a I think, in, you know, personally, I think we haven't done a great job of ensuring patients have that information at their fingertips, um, kind of a black box. And so the focus on pairing uh, technologies around real-time eligibility and real-time pricing, both by regulatory reasons, but also just good practice reasons, I think is an important pairing with the digital front door discussion. So a focus on that scheduling and access transformation paired with financial pricing transparency and eligibility transformation may sound like um, not, uh, not sexy, so to speak, aspects of transformation, but they're so important fundamental um, nuts and bolts uh, in, in kind of building out what that relationship can be with the patient and with the consumer that I think it's, um, uh, again, areas that um, many big systems are still you know, early in, in their work on, on trying to tackle.
Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And especially as you were talking about the financial side of things, I know there's a lot more stakeholders than just the hospital and, and the patients that really depend on being able to provide some of that accurate information. But I also too know there's a lot of work around that space and in digital health startups and those kinds of things. But again, being able to keep up with the payers, and their policies and, and changes there, I'm sure is a huge challenge. Um, you know, when you're looking at being able to get to the ideal state, obviously there's some regulatory um, things coming down the pipe that will bring us closer to that. But do you see really um, the ideal state there being a few years down the line, 10 years down the line? What would, what would your guess be, I guess, if you had to? Yeah, um, you know, I, it feels like we've been on a march towards different payment models for the better part of a decade or two. So it's hard to say that uh, in two or three years, the entire kind of financial structure of how we uh, uh, engage between the three-party system generally of healthcare between patient system and payer is going to rapidly move. But I do think the pandemic has accelerated some of that move away from transactional healthcare, which I think has to be a good thing. So I think um, uh, hopefully the next prediction will be a little more accurate than the predictions over the last 20 years that will be at a different place um, uh, sooner rather than later. But I think in addition to the acceleration of, of expectations around healthcare consumption, um, you know, the very real fact that um, the acceptance of I don't have to go to a clinic or a hospital to get good high quality care all the time that generally accepted principle um, uh, that came out of the pandemic means that all systems, my own included, are, uh, are ripe for competition and disruption. Um, I think that is going to be the new ingredient that I think will help us move you know, broadly towards a system that, again, continues to put in the patient experience and the providers supporting them um, front and center and hopefully move us a little bit closer to that future vision. Um, uh, I think that uh, I value my relationships with my patients. I think patients value their relationships with their providers. That is the power quote, of incumbency, but it only takes you so far. Uh, I think that um, there is you know, now balanced against the power of convenience and I think that it's going to meet somewhere in the middle. Well, you have, everyone will have seen that you know, the general media headlines, I think, around virtual care went from, uh, you know, virtual only to virtual first and hybrid very quickly. I think, you know, there was a lot of learning that many new entrants realized that maybe virtual only isn't exactly the right paradigm, um, that this concept of virtual first or hybrid or uh, allows maximizing a focus on convenience because not all one patient is created equal and how they may want to access care, what they find is most convenient or what is most clinically appropriate for that given scenario. So I think the marketplace is evolving. It's not gonna be digital only or virtual only. I think a lot of components of both, but the, the incumbent big systems are ripe for competition given this now generally accepted principle of uh, I don't always have to come to you um, uh, and, and balancing that power of relationship versus the power of convenience. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's really helpful to think about. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I have one more question. We've talked a lot about some really exciting opportunities and developments, but what are some of the top challenges that you're preparing for over the next few years? 
Yeah, I think um, you know, in addition to that, um, you know, that massive shift in expected, um, uh, uh, you know, offerings around convenience, which is really going to you know shift care out of this unique controlled environment of the hospital, the clinic, um, uh, to more a distributed dynamic space, um, which is going to drive some, in addition to competitive challenges, some you know, some real uh, technical quality and experience challenges. Right, we've already seen this in, in moving care out of the clinic and the hospital to the patient's home virtually that, you know, uh, different devices, internet connectivity, different environments um, create this new dynamic um, uh, variable in connecting providers and patients while also acknowledging that that is a really important interaction. It, it could be life-saving or life-threatening interaction. And so figuring out ways to now dynamically connect patients and providers around this extraordinarily important topic of health. Um, uh, the, the threat of competition, the dynamicness of moving care out into the home does now create this new challenge of, uh, of technical dynamicness and troubleshooting, as well as bringing to the forefront a new social determinant, uh, a newly more important social determinant of health, the, the, the determinant of health of digital literacy and digital access. So those are challenges that require investment. But then beyond that, I think um, there are some very real near-term near legal and regulatory barriers that may, you know, play no small part in determining um, the near and medium-term ability of, of existing providers, networks, and patients to continuing to meet patients where they virtually are, meeting the expectations of flexibility from our patients. Um, the two biggest ones being, you know, in my opinion, uh, a somewhat antiquated licensure uh, regulatory environment that goes state by state. Um, built on the expectation that patients and providers go to the same place, that they are physically co-located to access care, and now obviously they no longer need to be. Um, and then an artificial you know, line on a map may actually be the difference between being able to connect to your own clinician or not based on a state licensing system. And, and the second being that the, you know, the federal government and Congress in particular is what funds CMS and Medicare, and, and so it's up to Congress to ensure that there's long-term permanent uh, the Medicare program in, in accessing covered telehealth services, as well as many other um, home-based services uh, underneath um, the benefit schedule. So these are real regulatory issues that I, you know, I think need to be ad addressed. And then there's reasonable middle ground, reasonable compromise that I think needs to be and, and can be found. And um, uh, so continue to work on the public policy side of, of digital transformation, which is as important side as any. Absolutely. 100% agreed. I think that's so important. Dr. Hasselfeld, thank you so much for being here on the podcast today. This has been a really fun and interesting discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Great. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thanks to Beckers, and uh, I look forward to rejoining at some point in the future.